was in the book. So it was very special. This book, Higher Living Leadership, is actually the same as this book. But this book is a biblical edition. And so because I'm in the marketplace, um, I've done higher living leadership. It's something I developed maybe about four years ago, five years ago, when I would just do full-day trainings. And it was so impactful for so many, and it brought such revelation that what I did is I developed a marketplace book. And so there's not one Christian reference in here. You can give it to business leaders, governmental leaders. I can take it anywhere I go and put this in the hands of someone. And the fact is, everything in here is biblically based. And so uh, it's amazing. I had a, there was one teacher from, um, uh, well, she was an administrator of a university. Uh, medical university right outside of D.C., and she was one of the heads of the school, and she got a hold of my book, and she says, Melody, she called me up and said, Melody, can I come to your home, because I want to get one for the head, uh, heads of the, all the heads of the school of each department, and um, she came up, and she, here she, her area was neuroscience, and I have neuroscience in here, so when she told me that, I go, okay, Jesus, you know, an expert, and she says, you know, I was so impressed how you handled neuroscience because even though I'm an expert in neuroscience, I never, ever applied it practically. And she said, I wanted the students in my school to hear practically how neuroscience can impact our lives. And so that, that was just really, really awesome. So this is one I just take when I go into the marketplace arena and I can give it to them and I know I'm giving them the word and they don't know that I'm giving them the word. And so, so then this book for the Christian community. So the fact was everything that's in that book is in this book, but all through it, I interject the biblical references and the proof texts of these things. And so one of the training, which I know Amber knows about this one, it's called Validation Quotent. And I I was thinking about teaching it this time because it's foundational for our identity. It's foundational for our future. And it's a science called axiogenics. And it's the mind-brain science of values generation. And it's literally the signature woven on the every single human being's brain. And there's a hierarchy of value. And the first level of value is to value yourself and value others. And if I can't value me and I can't value others, I will emotionally suffer. Now, I'm just talking axiogenics right now. I'm not preaching a sermon. And you think it's biblical. You think, because guess what? Science is discovering what God's word said all along. Then the second level of that hierarchy is to value what I bring to the table, my skills, my abilities, and to value what somebody else brings to the table. And then the third level is the structure and systems that put that in place. So if I have a structure and system that allows you to release your gifts and your abilities so that you can walk in the fullness of the value that you carry, we will be emotionally healthy people. And so the fact is, if I can't see my value, I'll never see yours. So if, if I can't celebrate me, I'll never be able to celebrate you. If I can't love who God created me to be, I'll never love who God created you to be. And so this is literally a science. And what they say, if we get them out of order, for example, if I put what you do, if I value what you do greater than who you are, you'll still emotionally suffer. Because if the only reason you love Melody is because I'm preaching or prophesying, but you don't love me as a person, those are the times we feel hurt. I mean, you only love me for what I do or what I give. You don't love me. And according to science, it will cause people to emotionally suffer. The one devaluing and the one being devalued. Science. Then I go through the whole process of thought and 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 take neuroscience, and really those couple chapters are all about renewing the mind. <laughs> but it's all science. It's just amazing. And so, but I have the biblical references for that. But the, that leadership training, uh, I just, it's, I still think it's my favorite because it is taking what the world has given, lining it up with the Word of God. And it's been amazing as I've done things like that in churches 
when people think it's going to take me 20 years to renew our mind, do you know what? According to neuroscience, you can rewire your brain in 21 days. Completely rewire the neural networking of your brain in 21 days. How many days does it take to make a habit? 21 days. Because if you rehearse something over and over for 21 days, our brain is being re uh, rewired for that. And at the exact same time you think about it, my mind is being renewed. So why do we think in the body of Christ that it's going to take me 60 years for my mind to become whole? That it's going to take me 20 years to overcome this hurt or this wound or this battle. The answer is in us being powerful. Because if I choose how I will think... Every thought creates an emotion. Every emotion creates an attitude. Every attitude creates a belief. And based upon my beliefs is what I do. So the fact is, if I deal with the thoughts in my mind, it'll ultimately impact everything I do in my life. So I can go back and I can rehearse over and over and over how I was molested. I could go over and over these people. I should have trusted them. This was some family. These were these people. There was people I didn't know. I mean, I had a whole list that, I don't know, I was just a magnet. I don't know. And uh, so I think it's a spiritual dynamic. You know, you attract things. But all these, I could rehearse that over and over and over. And guess what? I could... I'm 63. So at 63 years old, I could be still giving power to something that happened to me from the time I was two years old to nine years old, and I would have had no quality of life my whole life. And so my thoughts continue to give it power. But we have the power to make a decision to say, you will not control the rest of my life. I'm not going to let somebody who violated me, and guess what? I was victimized. But if I believe I'm a victim, I will remain a victim. And literally, the neural networking of my brain will tell me over and over, I'm a victim. So guess what? I can't trust you, and I can't trust you. i got to watch out for you. i got to put up a wall with you. Guess what? I begin to live in such a way that puts me in bondage, and I'm not supposed to be preaching my book. But I live in that way. If I can feed on the truth... If I can feed on those things that are good and pure and perfect and lovely and of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, my goodness, God put that in the word because he says, this is what I want you to think on because if you think on that, it's going to rewire the neural networking of your brain and then guess what? You're going to feel what you think. Your emotions will line up with what you think and ultimately, which is even better, your actions because the fact is, when you love you, and you love what you carry, and you love others, and you love what they carry, and it's going to position you to be a giver and a contributor. So instead of living your life taking and getting to meet your needs, you're living your life to contribute to society. And the thing that meets your needs more than anything else is giving yourself away. Because the fact is, whenever I focus on what Melody wants... It never satisfies. But when I focus on giving my life away, it just feels so good. Come on, guys. God wired us to lose our lives so we could find it. He wired us in such a way that the attributes and the thoughts and the ways of heaven will cause us to be healthy. Oh, my goodness. I'm not supposed to talk on higher living leaders, but I love it because it's taking things and making it so practical that I can make a choice every moment of the day what I will or will not think on. And then the words that you say, somebody comes up and is critical of me, guess what? Those words will not have any power. Have you ever been up all night long struggling and hurting over what someone said or what someone did or what's happening and you're just awake all night long rehearsing it and you're hurting and you're grieving and all those emotions are going on? You know what's happening? You're building neural network but not a healthy one. I'm the only one that stayed up all night thinking about it, okay? You act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Come on. <laughs> 
But I'll tell you, when I choose to think heaven's thoughts, it'll begin to rewire my brain and I'll start loving life. And I'll start feeling so very, very powerful. Because nobody else can define me but my God. He's the one that defines me. I don't even have the authority to define myself. Because I didn't create me. He did. And if we really are Christians and we're going to say, God, if that's who you say I am, then I choose to believe that. Hallelujah. I don't know how to switch. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, even as we come in to this, I'm just supposed to introduce my book. And, but, Father, I just feel that you're just touching us right now by your spirit. Father, I thank you that each one is really going to see how truly powerful they are. And their greatest power is in their thought life. Their greatest power is to choose your thoughts and to choose your ways. So, Father, I just thank you that your spirit and your presence just touches each one right now. Holy Spirit, come. Saturate every cell in our being. You know, our thoughts don't just affect our brain. Do you know your DNA strands are constantly changing? And the thoughts that you have affect your very DNA. So the thoughts that I have, that means that's going to affect my children. If you don't have children yet and you want to have all the young ones, you don't have kids yet and you want kids, man, start dealing with your thoughts now because it will affect your DNA. And then when you have kids, guess what? The curse will already be broken. Every generational sin and curse. Because as your mind is renewed, it literally changes your DNA. Think about it. The curse from the third to fourth generation, Right? But to those that love me, to a thousand generations. Why? Because when my thoughts align with heaven, it affects the very DNA. And as my DNA is affected, when I give birth to children, guess what? They're born with a different DNA than I was born with. It affects every cell in our being. You know, on the head of a pin, I'm sorry, can I just go here? On the head of a pin, you can put 10 cells. And there's 3 million DNA strands in every cell. So that means there's 30 million DNA strands on the tip of a pin. Can you imagine how many DNA strands there are in your entire body? We could take one little hair out from your eyebrows and take one little hair out, and we can see your DNA, right? And every thought I have affects every DNA strand. Can you see why the enemy wants to wound, wants to bring shame, wants to bring fear? Can you see why the enemy tries to set up things for gossip and prejudice and divisiveness and all those other things? Because it literally affects us all individually in every cell in our being, and we pass it on from generation to generation and generation. But I'll tell you, we are a new breed. We are to shift culture. And if we begin to live differently, guess what? We're going to be contagious to our world. Guess what? People are attracted to carriers of hope. People are attracted to those that are healthy. People are attracted to those that don't gossip because I feel safe. If you know I'm not going to gossip about you, you'll feel safe enough to talk to me, right? And when we speak truth, it empowers someone to succeed. And what's your name, hon? Corinne. Corinne? Kering? Yeah, Kering. Kering? Father, I bless. Oh, if I go to give you a prophetic word, if you have a phone, get out your phone and do the voice recorder thing. If not, it's on their video or the audio. But um, if you have that. Father, I bless this woman of God. And the Lord says, daughter, I see the steps of your life. I see those things that tried to come in to bring destruction. I see even the accusations that came at you many different times in your life. But the Lord says, my hand has been upon you even from the time you were a little girl. And the Lord says, that which the enemy tried to use to destroy you, the Lord says, I've not only brought in rescue, but I'm bringing you into a place of renewal and refreshing and empowering and a release. For the Lord says, I put a 
calling and a gifting upon your heart. I put an ability on the inside of you that has uh, the ability to impact so many for my kingdom. And the Lord says, you're going to see that your words, your testimony, who you are becoming in me is going to have so much power to impact the lives of so many. The Lord says, I have not left you. As an orphan, I have not left you as one abandoned. I have not left you as one forsaken. For the Lord says, my hand has been upon you and I've drawn you so close to me. And I've been surrounded you. And many times throughout your life, you look and you say, God, you planted this one and you planted this one and you planted this one and you planted that one. And the Lord says, I've been sowing into you from the time you were young. And the enemy tried to sow in as well. But the Lord says, I want you to know that I'm the victor in this thing because you made a decision to run after me. You made a decision to give yourself to me. You made a decision to say, listen, I want to walk different in my future than I walked in my past. And the Lord says, I'm going to empower you and I'm going to grace you and I'm going to bring such a fulfillment to you that you're going to have relationships where you really feel safe. You're going to have relationships that you know are genuine. You're going to have relationships that not only honor you, but they honor me. And so the Lord says, daughter, I want you to be encouraged because your future is full of hope. Your future has my light shining upon it. So the Lord says, run after me with all that is on the inside of you, and you're going to experience a freedom unlike anything you've ever dreamed. Father, I bless her in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Okay. Well, you want to hear a little bit about powerful people? Okay. Powerful people love completely and unconditionally. I mean, we all know. We all know that we're supposed to love. We all know that our love should be unconditional. But guess what? When we feel that what other people do renders us powerless, it's very hard to love somebody that is controlling us and makes us feel a certain way. And the fact is no one has the power to make you feel any way. Well, you make me mad. Nobody has the power to make you mad. They can send an invitation. But we're the one that chooses it, right? Somebody can send an invitation to make you offended. Somebody can send an invitation to have you come to a pity party. I mean, they can send a lot of invitations, but we can RSVP. No, I don't go there. Somebody can come and send you an invitation. You want to gossip with me? Come on, let's talk bad about Susie over there. You know, we, the invitations will come, and you have to decide, am I going to reject this invitation in front of this person? Because I'm not going there. Well, I didn't want to tell her I don't gossip. Why not? That's what's going to help them get healed. If we really love, we'll say, I'm sorry, we don't do that. It would be just like some guy, hey, Melody, come home and sleep with me tonight. I'm going, forget it, buddy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not interested. And you want to make a pass? Boom. I mean, I'm not going to sit and put up with that kind of stuff. You know, God wants to say, I'm not going to be like little Miss Sweetie. Oh, I'm a Christian, so I'm not going to say, get out of my face. No, I'm going to say, get out of my face. I told my daughter, and we were pastors, but I told my daughter when she goes to school, if anybody does something, you kick them hard and where it hurts. You are too valuable to be violated. Come on, guys. It is not unloving. It is not unloving to put up boundaries that protect the value of who you are. Come on. Why did I go there? Who knows why I went there, but somebody needs to hear it. Somebody needs to hear it. We have the ability to establish those boundaries. And so, but the fact is we all know that God has called us to love unconditionally. So here it is. I might say, no, I don't go there. That does not mean I'm not walking in love. And I still love the person, even if I'm not going to participate in their actions. In fact, we are to love unconditionally and unreservedly. We don't hold back love from anyone. Man, completely love. Oh, it is so scary to completely love because I feel like I got to totally open up my heart and you can walk all over. You can do whatever you want. But that's not what this is saying. Because the fact is, I can completely and totally unconditionally love under one circumstance, one condition. 
See, in 1 Corinthians, it says, Love is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily anger, it keeps no record of wrongs. We know this is what God's called us to. But there is a freedom to fully and unconditionally love everyone. And I talked about last night, even the perpetrator, help me, Jesus, you know? You know, the Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But then there's another commandment. He says, I want you to love like I love. Oh, help us, Jesus. Loving your neighbor as yourself, that's one thing. And the more I see value in me, the easier it is able to do that. But to love somebody like he loves me, whoa, that's pretty intense right there, right? But we are able to do that. We are able to love everyone when we're able to determine the level of heart access we give. See, the fact is, I can completely and unconditionally love you, but that doesn't mean I have to give you access to my heart. You think, that doesn't sound scriptural. Look at Jesus. He had the multitudes. And then he came back to the disciples and he goes, they heard this parable? Let me tell you what it means. The disciples had a greater level of access to Jesus than the multitudes did. Come on, guys. And then he had the three. And then he had the one. He had different levels of access. I'm sure to his mother, he had another level of access to Mary Magdalene and all those that followed him. Come on. It wasn't just the 12 that followed him. There was levels of access. He knew who to open his heart to and who not to. But he loved all. He came and was willing to give his life completely for every person on the planet, past, present, and future. Right? He so valued us that he paid that price. That is love, man. But as he walked on the earth, he knew who to and who not to open up his heart to. So I'm going to give you 10 or 12 things. And every one of these things that you can answer yes to is a good indication that this person is one you can open your heart to. But if you say no to these things, so if you have paper, you might want to write them down. <laughs> but if you say no to these things, then it is wisdom to not grant them access. Because see, when I know, for instance, one of the... Oh, when I was younger, I would always go down to the square of Millersburg, the town that we live in. And that's where all the Satanists would hang out. And I loved to go there because they expected you to be critical of them. And I would just go and love on them. I would just go and value them. You know, there's no man around here. But if I had a man here, I'd pull him up and I'd hit his chest. I don't know. I'd get around guys and i got to hit their chest somehow. <laughs> Buddy, I believe in you. I want you to know you're valuable. See, it says lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He didn't say pray. So I'm patting their chest, you know, right where their heart is. Buddy, I believe in you. You're valuable. I know you make good decisions, you know. And I could completely and unconditionally love. I could feel the love I had for them. I could feel the value that I had for them. But did I open up my heart to any of them? No. Do you see the difference? And we have to recognize this because there's only so much energy you have, emotional energies, in your cup every day. So what are you going to expend your emotional energies on? Either I'm going to spend my energies on those who offended me, those who hurt me, those who betrayed me, this negative situation, this thing that upsets me, or I'm going to put my emotional energies into building the kingdom, into fulfilling the call of God upon my life, into investing into who God created me to be, into investing into those that I have a heart relationship where there's a giving and a receiving of life. That's where I want to pour into Man, when I, I love, you know, I know, I, and I don't say this in a private way, I just know me. I love, I love deeply, I love quickly. And I'm able to love deeply and quickly very much, much more than ever before. It's because I recognize that just because I don't open up my heart fully doesn't mean that I'm not loving. 
It gives me freedom to love. But guess what? When we sit down and we talk and we begin to communicate and there's an exchange of life, and I started asking these questions, it's like, oh, I can open my heart. This person's safe. Healthy boundaries. What are boundaries? I know you all know this. Boundaries keep the bad out, but they let the good in. And see what happens, we often take past experiences and we keep everybody out. And we don't let any good in and we're left isolated and lonely and hurting. When we learn to open up and let the good in and keep the bad out, we can keep loving fully. We're not walking in a wounded place. We're walking in a powerful place. We're making that decision. So, first one. Do they avoid emotionalism, drama, gossip, and criticism? If I get around a critical person or a person that's gossiping or the drama queen, I'm going to love them, but I'm not going to give them entrance into my heart because if they gossip about everybody else, they're going to be gossiping about me, right? So I'm not going to open up my heart and let me, let me be a part of their drama, okay? So... If they avoid those things, ah, this person doesn't gossip. They automatically feel safer, right? Number two, do they honestly and authentically value you? Do they honestly and authentically value you? Oh, see, one thing so powerful about being an authentic person is when you are true to who you are wherever you go, then you know who values you. Not based upon your performance, but based upon you. Man, that, that's healthy relationship, right? Do you trust them to protect your heart? Would someone defend you? Somebody comes up and goes to gossip and say, whoa, 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 I love that person. Just like, guess what? We protect every heart of every pastor in our area. We're not going to let anybody speak anything negative of any pastor in our area. I want to protect their heart. Whether they protect mine or not is irrelevant. I want to protect theirs. And so those that I open up my heart to, I know are going to protect it. You go to my assistant, you say anything about me, man, she'd be like a bear protecting her mama. You know, I mean, she would be, she'd do it in love. But she'd fight for me, just like I would her. Hey, if you ever have kids... You might be yelling at them at home, but I'm telling you, if somebody messes with your kids, you're going to protect them, right? <laughs> you know what? Well, we have a father who protects us. Do you trust them to protect your heart? Do they both give to you and receive from you? This is huge. Because if there is a relationship where all somebody does is take, don't open your heart. Or if you're in a relationship where all you want to do is take, oh, my gosh, then they should not open up your heart, their heart to you. Because I'm not called to be used, but I'm not called to be a user. And so I recognize the power that I hold to be able to acknowledge, is this a giving and receiving? A friend I have, he's a, an executive of a, large multi-billion dollar company. And he said, Melody, let me tell you what a good business deal is. Because I always, oh, I felt guilty charging for anything. You know, oh my gosh, I just felt so uncomfortable. And um, he said, Melody, let me tell you what a good business deal is. I go, what? A good business di deal is where both sides win. You got to make sure they win. So if I'm coming up here and we're partnering together for this conference, I want to make sure you win. Come on. There's a giving and a receiving. 
There's a partnering together where it benefits both. Isn't that what marriage is about? We get together so we both benefit. We both are empowered. If you have to be the one giving all, or you're the one that wants to receive it all, then there's something unhealthy about this relationship. So I'm not going to open up my heart unless there's a giving and a receiving, and that it's win-win. Do they have pure motives and unselfish agendas? Oh, I've had people call, you know, I hate flattery. How many, oh, I hate flattery. In fact, the Bible says, he who flatters with his lips is setting a trap for you. Flattery is deceptive words that are trying to manipulate you for them to get what they want. And maybe just what they want is someone to love them because they don't feel loved, so they'll say all these things that they don't really mean because somehow if I act like I love you, maybe you'll love me in return. And boy, you know, I recognize that when that happens. And I'm going to love on them, but I'm not going to open my heart to them. Because I know it's not truth. See, one thing, this is another powerful thing. I'm throwing this in. I must see truth in a person. I must see that authenticity. I must see the real. Because if you're being totally truthful with me, then I know how to relate and connect with you. I know what you need. I know what this relationship is about. I'd rather know the worst of the worst Man, I'd rather know this horrible, deep heart, terrible sin so we can work on it. But if we spend our lives covering it or blaming or or doing things where the problem is all out there, but there's no truth in my communication, then how do I work when I don't even know what I'm working with? Because truth is not there. And so when there's unselfish agendas, there's not truth. When there's not pure motives, there's not truth. It's manipulative. But when I know there's pure motives, when I know that there's unselfish agendas, then I can open my heart. Number six, do they ask for forgiveness and forgive quickly? This is huge because what perfect person lives on the planet? Am I going to make mistakes? Yes. Is somebody else in my life going to make mistakes? Yes. But are they quick to say, forgive me? And are they quick to forgive me? When I mess up. See, an exchange of life has to deal with an exchange of forgiveness. Not after two weeks of holding resentment. I'll tell you, when we can live a lifestyle of forgiveness, it will empower us. We are powerful. The most powerful thing you can do is to forgive when you've been hurt. It's very powerful. Because you are literally cutting off that ability for it to affect your future. When you forgive, you are setting a prisoner free, and that prisoner is you. When you forgive, you're cutting off the chain that ties you to that person. If you don't forgive, guess what? If I didn't forgive those who molested me for in those years, all the different ones, I didn't even know who some of them were. If I don't forgive them, guess what? At 63 years old, I'd still be chained to them. But when I forgive, it cuts it off, and that's the past. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Guess what? That is not me. I'm not a victim. I'm not uh, abused. I'm not, uh, I'm not messed up. I'm not wounded. Come on. And sometimes I had to just make a decision. I'm not going to be wounded even though I felt wounded. I'm not a victim, even though I felt like a victim. And, uh, you know, even, in fact, well, my way to do it when I lived in D.C. was just be ready. Just be ready because every man was a potential perpetrator. So I was not going to be victimized again. You know why I did that? Because I felt like a victim. I felt powerless to every man on the planet. And I'll tell you, now I'm a champion of men. I love young men. I love young people in general, but when there's a young man, because, you know, there's something about a man that has the ability, you know, to be a source that women don't have, that's what head means. When you get married, they become the head. The head is, means the source of life. That's what it means. It's having the ability and the power and, and the privilege to empower somebody else to, 
succeed. What do pastors do? They have the authority, the power, the honor, and the privilege to empower those around them to succeed. That's what head means. And so when we can invest into, or when I can invest into a young man, I'm investing into someone who has the ability to affect a whole family, impact a whole family line. Just the other day, I was in a situation, there was a young man that kind of was struggling, and, and I was teaching for a few hours, and about the end of two hours, I could feel him beginning to open up, you know, like he didn't laugh at any of my jokes, and... Um, and then after like two hours, you'd get this little half smile. And I just stopped everything. I said, you know a benefit of being an old lady? And I went up to him and said, you know what? I don't have any guy to pick on. And you, you, know, you, know, you know the benefit of being an old lady? And he goes, no. I said, I can hug all the good-looking young men. <laughs> You can get away with a lot as you get older. It's so much fun. And guess what? It's pure because guess what? Everybody needs a hug. Everyone needs genuine, pure love. And it's not, I mean, he was doing his best to be disengaged. And I'll tell you, love breaks down those bonds when they know that it's real. And by the end of that meeting, I got home and he asked me to be a friend on Facebook. <laughs> uh, number seven. See that picture up there? There you go. See that picture? That's not God. To have a broken door to let anything in. No. Number seven. Do they love you without your title, position, or what they can get from you? You know, I don't have that big of a position or platform, but there are some people that call me, and all they want is for me to open doors for them. And, you know, if that comes from relationship, that's beautiful. But how can I open up a door for somebody where I don't even know them? And I've just seen, I mean, people have tried to use me for the platforms that I have. And whenever I sense that, I love them unconditionally, but I don't open up a platform. And I'll even say, hey, buddy, God brought me to this place. I can't take you anywhere God didn't call you to go. So you've got to trust God. You've got to determine, does your platform validate you or does your father validate you? And when your father validates you, he'll build the platforms he's ordained for you. I'm not messing with God's plan. Whatever. <laughs> Number eight, do they celebrate your success without competition and rivalry? Oh, it's easy to love the down and outers, man. You're there. You're the powerful one lifting them out of the pit. But, oh, my goodness, you get around somebody and, you know, you, you know or they get around you and, and you know, you're successful and God's doing amazing things and you just feel this jealousy all over them and they're, they're competing with you. They struggle with your success. Oh, my goodness, you know you have a true friend when they are celebrating your success. I remember we were in Bible school, and, you know, in Bible school, the biggest common denominator is nobody has any money. And so uh, we, were, we were in Bible school, and before that, I was a legal secretary, and my husband was an engineer for a hospital, so we rolled in the dough. And so we go to Bible school, and we had two nice cars. I went out and just wrote a check. He wants a truck. Oh, I'm going to go buy him a truck. And I just wrote out... Help me, Jesus. And uh, take me back. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so we traded in his truck and my car, and they were both pretty new. And those guys saw us coming, but we just wanted to go from two car to one car because now we didn't have money to really have two cars. And uh, even though, I mean, they were paid off, but, in, you know, insurance and all those things. So we drive here in Bible school a brand-new car. But we got a brand-new car for two cars that were only a year old. So they made a deal on us. But you could feel the jealousy. Oh, 
You got a new car. How'd you do that? Oh, it's okay. I don't like the color. And then there was a couple that came down. I'll never forget their names. It was Debbie and Terry. And they came down and they went, wow, oh, I just love to see God's people blessed. Oh, this gets me so excited. Oh, let's see. And, you know, they're into it and they're celebrating. Oh, man, you guys deserve this. This is really awesome. I'm so excited for you. And I'll never forget it. I was 23. And I said, God, that's the type of person I want to be. When somebody is blessed, I want to celebrate. Come on. You know, mine might be old, but when I look at you young people, I'm not going to be jealous. I'm going to celebrate. <laughs> Just like, aren't they so beautiful? And they love God on top of it. I mean, you guys are a full package. Spirit, soul, and body. Woo! You got it made. I'm not going to be critical of a young generation. I'm going to celebrate them. Come on. Who do you open your heart to? Who celebrates your success? When you're loved by somebody, they want you to succeed. In fact, they will help you to succeed. Man, you can open your heart wide. Number nine, do they share their hearts and listen to yours without judgment? Do you ever talk to somebody and they have to correct you all the time while you're talking to them? Or they make judgments of everything that you're saying? I'm not talking about dialogue and both communicating hearts and opinions and ideas, but it's somehow they usurp themselves above you and start speaking down to you. Don't open your heart to that. Exchange of life but not speaking down. Can I be so real with someone? Well, I do it all the time, but just hypothetically, you know. But I'm, I'm telling you, you might see me as being this very real, but I didn't always used to be that way. Because, see, I remember thinking, if you knew me, you wouldn't like me. If you saw the real me inside, you wouldn't like me. You wouldn't accept me. You wouldn't value me. And one thing that I learned is the only way that I could overcome that fear was make a decision to be me. And it was scary. Because there were some people who didn't like it. People you were pastoring. I had no problem in the marketplace. <laughs> I mean, even back in the early 70s, the whole women's limb movement, and then it was like, we're, we're just trying to be equal with men. Even me, no, I wanted to be above them and stomp them down. But the majority <laughs> just wanted equality, you know. And, um, but even in that time, I'll tell you, the people, I worked for two agents. I worked in the lab, and those two agents, they constantly invested into me so I could be a success. They celebrated me. They protected me. It was like I had my father died. I don't even remember my father. But it was like those two agents were almost like father figures to me. They wanted to see me succeed. Oh, my goodness. They never had judgment towards me. Now, I hid a lot of things that I did because I probably would have gotten fired for what I was doing. But I knew what to say and what not to say. <laughs> but honestly, they really did celebrate. And they did not view me through an eyes of judgment. And I was just very young. Number 10, do they focus on self-control rather than trying to control you? That is a super big one. Because if I have to control you to where you respond in the way I want you to respond so I feel loved, oh, I would do all kinds of things to try to get Stephen to show me love. And I told you yesterday how he didn't grow up in that type of family. Now it's like it's so wonderful. He's the romanticist in the family, you know. And um, he is just the most giving, serving, loving, 
celebrator. He's my cheerleader. He's just amazing. I'd never be here if it wasn't for him unless I flew because I am directionally challenged. I can't get anywhere. I just, I, I live in a town of 1500 and I got lost. It took me 45 minutes to get home one day. I had to put the GPS on to get home in my little town. That's how bad it is. And I'm talking to my husband on the phone, and I'm laughing. I say, you won't believe this. He goes, yes, I would. <laughs> He's amazing. He uses his power to help me succeed. And I use mine to help him succeed. We're not looking to control one another. We're looking to complement one another, to empower one another. Man, that's partnership, that's marriage, that's relationship, that's friendship. Come on. It's to empower one another. It's seeing the best in each other. Every year I come back, I just love you more and more. I love this place more and more and more. Relationship is being built that's safe and secure and pure and authentic. Number 11, do they possess character, integrity, and avoid toxic behaviors? Wherever there is toxic behaviors, just picture toxic for what it is. It's poison. And you can't drink poison. You can't let poison in without it affecting you. Number 12, do they treat you and others with respect and honor? I listen to how people treat others. I watch people. And right away, it has nothing to do. I might not ever, man, I might be sitting in the mall and watching people. They see how they treat their kids, how they treat their spouse, how they talk. And it doesn't take me very long to know whether or not I could even open myself up to them at all. Now, I could love them. I could invest into them. But it's not somebody I would want a relationship with. It doesn't take long. Proverbs 4.23 in the New Living, it says, guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart above all else. See, we think love has just been to open up and let everything happen. You know, not guard it, just let everything in. That's loving. That's mercy. That's grace. That's justice. No. We can do those things, but we've got to keep our heart closed to those things that would be toxic. We've got to guard our heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And we do things in the name of love, and it's sabotaging the course of our destiny fulfillment. So to be powerful means I have the ability to fully and unconditionally love every person on the planet. To be able to do that, but then guard my heart and know who to let in or who not to let in. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the powerful women of God that are in this room. I just thank you and praise you, Lord God, that you're bringing such an understanding so that they know how to establish healthy boundaries so that they can walk in the freedom of who you've called them to be, so they can be authentically their real self. Lord, you love us for who we are. We don't have to, I mean, even if we put on a front, you know. You know us, and you value us, and you love us. And Lord, as you are able to trust us to guard our heart, then you're able to position us to where we can be successful. So, Father God, I bless each one in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Can you put your hands on your heart? Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for each individual. And right now, I just speak, even to those times and those seasons 
where they thought it was love to open up and let in. And when someone came in, it hurt them, it violated them. There was usury. There was abuse. There was disappointment. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would touch and heal and restore where there's been loss, where there's been sadness, where there's been sorrow. Lord, I just ask that you touch and you heal. So now in the name of Jesus, as we move forward, I thank you that just this little bit that I shared will almost be just like a road sign or a, uh, something that they keep before them so that when relationships come, they are able to determine what is or is not healthy. Lord, you're raising us up to be these radical lovers. But may we do it in health. May we love radically in a way so that the course of our life can follow your plan and your purpose for us. Thank you for your presence, oh God. Do a beautiful work in our hearts, God. We might be able to look back and say, oh, I should have done this and I should have done that. Lord, I thank you. It doesn't matter where we were. It's the choices we make from this point forward. And so, Lord, I just pray even for ones where there is highly toxic relationships in their life. We place those individuals into your hands. I ask you, O oh God, that the angels of God would encamp around about them and that you would bring such clarity of mind and thought that they would hear your voice, that they would know your will as clear as a light from heaven so that they could walk out the fullness of your plan and your purpose and that they could touch people and influence people in a way like they never have before because they're going to carry something that people have no experience in and it's going to draw people to them and ultimately to you in the name of Jesus. I prophesy to the wind of heaven, the ruah of God, the glory of God, that warlike spirit of God, the healing breath of God to blow across those dry places and just breathe life so they can raise up as an exceeding great army in the name of Jesus in Jesus name in Jesus name thank you father thank you father thank you father amen thank you Jesus 